Greetings. Welcome to today's Denarius. I'm Ron Thomas. Good to be back on the podcast trail again. And tonight we're going to talk about something that's very important, uh, certainly in reference to the Christian faith. This is a true fundamental of the Christian faith, and it's actually going to be a two- or three-part series. Uh, I want to take the time for people to certainly understand uh, what we're looking at right now, uh, certainly in the realm uh, of the Christian faith, uh, the evangelical Christian faith. We are seeing right now, I have to be honest, a lot of uh, supposed conversions, uh, thing, conversions coming in ways that uh, I want to say unconventional, but really not conversions at all, uh, when you compare them with Scripture. And that's what we do. We, When people have an, claim an experience or people claim an event, uh, they say that where a great number of people came to the Lord, um, it's right for us to take the Bible and take a look and examine uh, Scripture uh, to find out and figure out uh, if this is really true and, and really authentic. Uh, before I say that, I want to say thank you to the new listeners. I want to say thank you to uh, new subscribers out there. And it's been great to see the number grow recently. Um, I do pray it continues. This channel is here. It is, uh, I am a fully ordained, fully trained evangelical minister. I'm in the middle of my doctoral program. Uh, so, you know, I have a Master of Divinity. Uh, I do work in chaplaincy. And it's very important to me uh, to teach people the truth because one of the greatest weaknesses in the church today is that people are not learning the truth. When I went to Sunday school when I was young, we didn't sit or stand all morning there in Sunday school and sing. We didn't have the guitar players, the drummers, the entertainers. Our entertainment was learning scripture. And my, tra my channel... My podcast and my YouTube channel are about training Christians to grow in their faith. Faith for today. And many of these lessons turned out to be longer than I intended uh, when I started the channel. But I'm very grateful because both the YouTube channel and my podcast uh, has seen some growth, and that's good. So if you want to grow and you have friends and family who want to grow, uh, share this podcast with them. There's many, I, I have numerous podcasts, uh, many on very interesting topics that I strongly encourage uh, you to share with others. I do have one mechanism, I will say, I have one mechanism uh, that you can make comments about my podcast, but you will need to listen to it on Spotify. Anchor, the host of my podcast, feeds my podcast out to nine other podcast channels. But the only one that I have a way to get feedback from you is through Spotify because Spotify owns Anchor. And it would sure be great to hear from you. I hope one day that I can have some feedback from my audience and hopefully to find out from you uh, how the podcast uh, is blessing you or what can I can do to improve the podcast. Uh, but I will always be a strict and straight Bible teacher. Uh, I believe in the word of, word of God. I believe in the inerrancy, the authority, and the infallibility of Scripture. Uh, I do believe that the Bible was given in its original autograph was surely the authentic uh, word of God. Now, we can. some people say it's even now. And look, uh, we can look at history and how the Bible's been transmitted through the years. But the key is, I am a full Bible believer, and you will, you will get that on my channel, and if you watch my YouTube videos, you'll get that there as well. So uh, let's go ahead and talk about the topic uh, for today. I recently attended a denominational conference, and it was a marvelous experience. Got to see friends, uh, first time I was able to attend one in a few years. But I wanted to uh, talk to you about couple of the things that came out of that conference, uh, well, what we learned and what's happening and going on out there uh, in our good evangelical world today. Because really, over the next couple of podcasts, or maybe extended into three, we are going to look closely at the gospel plan of salvation. I think it's time for real true Bible believers 
to get their evangelical shoes shined again and get ready to present and talk about the real, true gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came, he died, he was buried, and he rose again, died for our sins, and was buried, and he rose again from the dead. We need to get our evangelical shoes on again. We need to let those shoes shine brightly and preach, share, evangelize, however means God calls you and me to do it, to share that news to a lost world. Because I just tell you right now, a lot of people are not getting the truth. They're not sharing the truth. And a lot of this false gospel has infiltrated the evangelical church. But I'll tell you what right now, God has those who are going to persevere. They're not going to fall for what's fake. And you know, the best way to know what's fake is to know what's true. And that means to you and me to know our, know our scriptures. Now, having said that, one of the things that was presented at the conference uh, referred to a survey that showed the greatest weakness in the evangelical church is, no surprise to me whatsoever, is that Christians are not reading their Bibles. Plain and simple. Christians are not reading their Bibles. And that's seen all over the place. That's seen uh, in the, in the so-called Christians uh, that are on social media, I've never heard such ludicrous comments in my entire life. They certainly come from biblical ignorance. Um, I hear sometimes of people giving testimonies or standing up like it's gospel truth uh, for theories in this current world, what people are talking about, like it's salvation, wokeness, for one. Wokeness is not Christian salvation. Some people may think it is, but it is not. Wokeness is not a saving act on the person. They think they gain some kind of enlightenment, but and that may be over a social issue, but it is not being the same thing as being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, having your sins washed away, becoming a new man or woman in Christ. It's not. Those things, anything like that is an additive to the gospel. It is a false gospel. Hence the purpose of what I'm going to talk about in the days ahead in this series. And today what we're going to look at mainly is what has been called the doctrine of total depravity. Our sins separating us from God and the need of Jesus Christ to come. But we need a Savior because we cannot save ourselves. So we will look basically at the doctrine of sin today. And you know what? When Paul wrote Romans... Those early chapters of Romans were dedicated to show that both Jew and Gentile, all Gentiles referring to all other peoples, are under sin. Under sin means that we are lost. Under sin means that you and I need a Savior. Now, having said that, uh, that evangelical people in the evangelical church not reading their Bible, a little anecdotal study from my own videos, uh, my a few of my most recent videos on YouTube were about study Bibles. And I did three study Bibles, and I created three videos uh, on study Bibles, which are fantastic study Bibles, uh, one of which was the Christian Standard Study Bible put out by Lifeway, an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, which actually at the time I made the video on my a review for 2021 on YouTube, that Bible was number one in views. It was under 100, but it was still number one. And then I made one, created a video on the David Jeremiah Study Bible. Jeremiah Study Bible did pretty well, but it was never leading the Christian Standard Bible uh, at the time of my year-end review for 2021 on YouTube. And then the third one I did, which was really close to the end of the year, was the Reformation Study Bible. Uh, Reformation Study Bible, uh, R.C. Sproul was the general editor. It's excellent, conservative, reform study Bible, and I love it. I love all three of these Bibles. And all three of them grant a dis different perspective uh, in the world of evangelicalism, which is all very orthodox, I might add. None of those Bibles depart from the truth in any way. So at that time, I did my year-end YouTube review 
uh, for 2021, the Christian Standard Bible was number one. But I can tell you right now, as a do it making and creating this video in around middle February, that the number one now, by far, I mean, by far, is the Reformation Study Bible. And that one is riding around 240 views. The David Jeremiah Study Bible is second with around 120 views. And on the Christian Standard Bible, which I thought would blow the other ones away, is in last place. And that's the one put out by the Southern Baptists. We can see the people in our denomination, evangelicalism, they like to come up with fancy words. They like to come up with a lot of fancy thoughts. But the fact of the matter is they do not know how to think biblically and how to think biblically these days in most, interests, in mo most instances. And the fact of the matter is, if you're not able to, if you don't read and study your Bible, you're not going to be very discerning when false teaching comes around because you're not going to know what false teaching is and how to recognizing it. Two of the greatest false teachers right now that try to hang around, but they're outside evangelicalism right now, are Russell Moore and Beth Moore, the Moores, the dangerous duo. And they do like to go out there, and even up the last week, both of them taking pot shots at evangelicals. Uh, if you're going to go attack Christians and evangelicals and stuff, uh, people who believe the truth, people believe the word, that's an indicator that you don't know Christ. I'll tell you that right now. These people are not who you once thought they were. You're not going to know that for yourself if you're not in Scripture. You can't discern it if you're not reading and not in the Word of God. You know, there are a lot of great study plans out there, friends. I would encourage you. I use what's called the Robert Murray Machine Plan. You can Google that. It's very easy. Just type in Robert Murray Machine and read Bible plan, reading plan. And guess what? It's going to pop right, right at the top. You can't miss it. And there are numerous ones you can get in there, but you can download the PDF and you, you have the Bible plan right there for you. Uh, that's just one of them. You can read the New Testament twice a year, the Psalms twice a year, and the Old Testament once a year using that reading plan. I encourage you to do it. In these times, you must do it. I've been talking about people reading the Bible in a Bible reading plan for years, way before I ever did a, or even thought of doing creating podcasts, way before that. And it's high time now that we get into the Word of God, get our evangelical shoes on, and get our biblical reading glasses on as well. Now, our second problem comes in the way in how we share the gospel. Many people in the last generation believed and were declared Christian without ever really experiencing true change in their lives and easily fell away. Easily. Oh, how's this manifested? Well, how many kids in our evangelical churches these days are actually going and surrendering to the ministry? How many of our evangelical kids these days go to college and disappear from the church? In my context of where I do chaplaincy, many of them stop going to church when they when they join this particular institution. I can say to them, what's the excuse? Why would you do such a thing? Well, because when you're being entertained in church, when you're being taught, oh, you just said that prayer when you were nine years old, you're okay, you're really saved, and you continue to go through all your years of church, just listening to the guitar players, the singers, never being taught anything, and you never demonstrate any real change, and you wonder in your heart, do I really know God at all? Or you get into these classes with their, these professors who know how to snow you. And all that happens because you don't know where the, the Word of God and you were never truly saved. So how are conversions happening these days? Well, this is a generation right now that has exhibited a lot of true biblical ignorance and at the same time probably does not know true salvation. And that's also manifested in what they're more attractive to these days when it talks about worldly philosophies. Paul told us, to, you know, kind of to flee from worldly philosophies or to, to engage with them in our defense of the Christian faith, but we're certainly not to believe in and follow them. And we know in recent times there's been a couple of very significant worldly philosophies. Uh, sorry, but they don't size up to the Christian faith. And we have the best ethic 
when it comes to our relations with all human beings in the Christian faith. We have to defend ourselves. What Jesus taught us about even as Christians to love one another or how love your neighbor as you love yourself, things like that, uh, we have the best ethic, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan has been used in many contexts, even in relation to COVID-19. Uh, but the parable of the Good Samaritans means we should all, of people of all ethnicities, should be good, do right to each other in all circumstances. Of course, in that context uh, was when somebody was definitely hurt. And the one you would not have expected reached out and assisted. We all need to be doing that. We all need to be that person. We all need to be that person. It's very clear. That's what the parable is about. Doing good, doing right to all people. We don't need the worldly, worldly ethic to teach us as Christians how to do right toward each other and toward all peoples. We don't need that. Jesus taught us that. The Bible taught us that. Love your neighbor as yourself is in the Old Testament. Is in the Old Testament long before Jesus said it when he walked the earth, among other things. Another problem that we deal with here in the realm of which I would call false conversions uh, is entertainment. Many times, I'll give you an example. Andy Stanley, who is nothing like his dad, he, he wouldn't even be anybody without his dad. I, I'm just going to say that because I truly believe it. The man's a dull speaker. <laughs> I, I won't even give him five minutes. And the words he says are empty and hollow. They're just Words thrown in the air in a sweet way. Yeah, Mr. Andy Stanley, if you're listening, I said that. I have no reservations. I'll be happy to talk to you, debate you anytime, anywhere, period. Anytime, anywhere for the shameful deeds you're doing, the shameful things you have said to your congregation. If I had been one of them, I would have flown out of there a long time ago. A long time ago. Having Led Zeppelin song stairway to heaven a song is about the occult song as the call to worship in the morning among other led zeppelin songs that were done by your third-rate band as spencer smith called it what does that have to do with christian worship you're not getting any worldly person interested in the faith in jesus christ by doing that you're just showing them that Christianity is no different from the world. That isn't going to truly save anybody. That is a pitiful, pitiful thought. Entertainment in the church. Entertainment of the worst kind. And unfortunately, Stan there are other churches besides Stanley's that are doing these heinous acts. Well, when that happens, friends, that's no longer a church. That's not a church that is practicing the true Christian faith. It's fake. Andy Stanley gave some of the most horrible excuses. <laughs> I don't even know what they were. What do you say to your congregation? Oh, the singer's homeschooled. Who cares? That's so, I can't think of many things more irrelevant. The big question is, why are you singing a song written by a group, and especially a lead singer, who was devoted to the occult and letting that happen in a church? That's inexplicable. And it's inexcusable. No question about it. And by the way, I saw the videos. The videos are out there. Of course, the church site conveniently removed them. Hey, I'd say, Andy Stanley, if you believe that this was so right, why didn't you just go ahead and leave the video posted? Because you know it wasn't right. And the people out there who called you out on that are right to do so. That was shameful. There's no other word for it but shameful. But then there was another instance where a recent uh, event, this is another example. I used to watch these in church when I was a kid, uh, the karate, <laughs> the karate uh, events that we would have. You know, we'd get a bunch of guys come in, busting blocks over their heads, or with their heads, with their hands or arms, holding it over one's head. Um, and everybody ooh and ah, and then they would give a salvation message at the end. And now they didn't try to force conversions necessarily. I had the ones that I remember, but they did present the salvation message. They were out there doing uh, their work uh, in following the Lord as they knew how, uh, exhibiting their talents for the glory of God. I, you know, we should be doing that as Christians. However, 
What they did to force conversions was not good. In this instance, uh, what they did was they forced 300 teenagers to come forward, say the prayer with them all, and then they declared them all saved. The same problem I described earlier. Well, these teens got saved so well that not a single one of them showed up to the, the sponsoring church the next Sunday. Were they really converted? Absolutely not. They never show up again. Well, let us not call them conversions. Fact of the matter is, the problem we've gotten into in the evangelical world is that we're calling things and saying people are saved and stuff. And who are we to call them? Actually, it's an individual thing from one person's heart to another. But generally, when a person is truly saved, the fruits tend to follow. And I think most of us can admit that that is true. Now, the worst one of the bunch, in my mind, that bothers me in recent times, was a church having a Christmas Eve service, and I do believe it was Christmas Eve. And for the second year in the row, the pastor bragged, we had a big revival in our church again, and said that when he asked the congregation, how many of you were saved? Raise your hand. And after a prayer, of course, uh, turn on your cell phone flashlights. I, <laughs> so now we've reduced salvation to turning on your cell phone flashlight as a means of salvation in the church. Let's be real here. If you want to see what real revival looks like, you go back to the 17 and 1800s. Even when Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God was preached in Enfield, Connecticut on July 8th, 1741, there is one account of what happened in that church as Edwards was preaching that sermon. Edwards couldn't even finish the sermon because the crying and the screaming was so loud that people were begging God not to throw them into hell. People were begging for forgiveness. And the reason why that was real, what, was happening, what happened in Enfield afterward, that community was changed. It was transformed. And prior to that event, nobody in that community had any interest in the revivals that were happening in other places. They were, they were cold-hearted people. So it was significant. It was, uh, I say mysterious, but it was a true divine and supernatural life light experience. But what we had here, what happened in that church, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't reduce, reduce a salvation event to that and call it, oh yes, we had a great revival. Because the fact is, if you study what happens in revival, there is always a period where people are convicted of sin. And then there's a time when the Holy Spirit opens up the gospel to them, they get saved. And I'll talk more about that later, probably in the next podcast. Now, here's another problem. Giving your testimony. And assuming that your testimony is going to save anybody. Look, I, I can tell people my testimony, what Jesus Christ has done for my life, but think about something biblically here, and I challenge you to go look in the Bible for yourself and see if this is true, and I do believe it is. Examine the times that Paul gave his testimony and look at what happened afterward. Are there any times when Paul gave his testimony where you see people coming to faith in Christ? Um, and he did give his testimony uh, multiple times in Scripture. Before the Pharisees and Sadducees, you never seen anybody come to faith after that. Uh, he did that before Felix, and Felix was shaking in his shoes. But Felix wasn't shaking in his shoes when he heard Paul's testimony. When Paul, Felix was shaking in his shoes when Paul was telling him about Jesus Christ. It said when he was talking about faith in Christ, righteousness, justice, and stuff, Felix became terrified. It's the preaching of Jesus Christ that Felix was reacting to. It wasn't reacting to Paul's testimony. So you don't see a testimony bringing somebody to Christ is my point. Now, like I said, we as Christians... It's, I do believe it's okay and fair to share the testimony, but that's not to be the heart of what you're sharing when it comes to the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. We need to preach Jesus Christ and not ourselves. And isn't that what Apostle Paul said? Now, let's look at the sermons. What happened? Did Peter talk about himself at his sermon on Pentecost? No. He talked about Jesus Christ. 
and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Let's look at Paul on Mars Hill. Did Paul preach about himself? No. He preached about Jesus Christ, and you see the results. Look at all the sermons. Look at all the sermons. They're preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. Because the fact of the matter is, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. If we're not doing that, we're not preaching the gospel. There's a video out there of a man from the New Apostolic Reformation. We don't have new apostles out there, by the way. That's nonsense. And it's not a reformation in any sense of the Bible at all. So don't think it that way. But And unfortunately, uh, a man, so-called evangelist named Todd White, has kind of been the, the poster boy to get pushed around by many uh, discerners and evangelicals. But he says many false things. I mean, there's no question about it. And one time he was asked, there's a video out there of this, uh, how do you share your faith? How do you lead somebody to Christ? His first answer was, well, I give them my testimony. That's my point, what I just said. You don't see people getting saved by your testimony. And he says, nobody can change or argue with my testimony. I share that with them. And he didn't even really say anything about telling them about Jesus Christ. Well, how do you know Jesus Christ? A person isn't going to get saved if they don't know that Jesus is the remedy. Todd White's testimony isn't going to save anybody. Bottom line, all things said. That just won't happen. But that's what he said, and I'm saying to you, your testimony can be okay to share, but you've got to preach the gospel. And that's what these, if you don't know how to share your faith, you need to pay attention to my podcast the next, next few days because they will help you. They will help you along the way. You know, I could talk about more in here. I, Brian Welch of Corn, same thing. He talks about his testimony. He doesn't talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and how, how he was so lost and dead in sin that he needed a Savior and he was under conviction of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't share his testimony that way. He just really says, says well, he reformed me. I, one day I had this little experience and I never did drugs and alcohol again. Is that really salvation? I think it's just reforming your life. It's nice that happened for them before him. I think he did the right thing by getting out of his band, but he should have stayed out of it permanently. He shouldn't have gone back. And I'm just telling you, the music they put out in Corn is horrible. It's horrible. It's 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 filled with filthy language. I, I'm sorry, you can't justify that stuff. You can't justify the behavior. Same goes for Alice Cooper as well. What he's doing these days has just been horrific. But I don't, want to spend, I don't want to spend a lot of time on that at this point. I think my main point here is to say to you is that there is a huge difference between being reformed and being truly regenerated. Re- being reformed is a work of man. And it involves the self. It's the self making a choice. But being truly regenerated is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is saving. Romans 1, verse 6, Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power, the dunamis of God, for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek or to the Gentile, to anybody who's outside uh, the Jewish nationality. For everyone... It is the gospel. It is not our testimony. It is preaching and teaching daily in the temple. They were teaching and preaching, not themselves, Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. And bottom line is, years ago, that's what was happening in our evangelical churches. Why not now? The power, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. And that new creation comes outside of you and me. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It says the old has passed away and see the new has come. Brian Welch and Alice Cooper should have stayed away for good from the world they were in. Unfortunately for Alice Cooper, he had a, I nicknamed the man Pastor Horrific who talked to him because he totally led him in the wrong direction. Sadly for Alice Cooper, because he was under conviction to make the choice to get out of rock and roll. 
But past our horrific side say, oh, no, look where you are. You can be a rock star and know Jesus at the same time. We have to quit that thinking. Bartender, look where, look where you're at now, bartender. You're, you're a bartender and you can live for Jesus. That's such nonsense. I can say the same type of logic with a prostitute. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Old things have passed away. New things have come. When are you and I, Christian, going to believe the Bible once again? These are things by which we test the faith. And we have right as Christians to try the spirits to see if they are God, what, of God, to see what other people are teaching in the craziness that's happening out there in our evangelical world. And you say you're judging stuff. Well, you go over to 1 John chapter 4 and read those early verses of that chapter and you start practicing what it says. It is our responsibility to do and try to test spirits who are bringing false teachings into the church. And if we're not doing that, you're not doing our, our job. And number one, if you're not doing that and you're not reading your Bible, you're not going to know how to do it. You're just going to say, oh, everything they're saying is okay when it's not okay. This affects your life, your salvation, and the salvation of your family if you have one. So the question is, what is the true gospel? Well, it's really laid out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is interesting because, because the Apostle Paul spent 58 verses, as we have, an entire large section of the New Testament in one place. I think it's probably the longest of all the letters, certainly the longest chapter, dedicated to defending the resurrection. And the Apostle Paul was not defending the resurrection to lost people. He was defending it to a local New Testament church at Corinth. Unbelievable. But he did. He spent that because there were false teachings about the resurrection, like the resurrection already happened or isn't going to happen, things like that. And the Apostle Paul had to address it. And he addressed it in an unbelievable way. Some places, some ways, I don't even understand what he wrote. But, but he did, and he defended the resurrection to a local New Testament church. You got to think about that when you're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Why is Apostle Paul defending the resurrection when people are supposed to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That's unbelievable, you think, when you look, when you reflect upon it. But that's what happens when false teaching creeps in the churches. And if there aren't people who are spiritual around, know their Bibles well enough to defend it. Elders in churches should know their Bibles well enough to defend the faith. If you don't have them, well, if you have deacons who don't know the Word of God, you better get them in it. Or otherwise, you, won't have, you don't know what's going to happen to you down the road. The people are bringing false teachings into the church as these days are spreading around like wildfire right now. I mean, they're out there on YouTube, they're out there on podcasts, or everywhere. That's why it's important for us to defend the faith, know how to do that, know how to do it, and we do it by staying close to the Word of God, staying close to our Lord. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was raised on the third day according to what? The Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. That's interesting that, that Paul wrote the 500 brothers and sisters. But the fact of the matter is, all these people could not be crazy. What court is going to reject the testimony of over 500 people? You see, that's not going to happen. But this is the heart of the gospel right here. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, as he's writing this to a church at Corinth. You people were saved because Jesus died for you, and you received him. He was raised the third day. This is the gospel message that Jesus Christ came, the greatest missionary of all missionaries, not a refugee. He was, I will accept that Jesus was a missionary because he left his throne, the perfect heaven, right next to his father, and came here to save you and me into a world by comparison I, I can't, there is no comparison, but that's the message. We must understand with conviction that we are, are sinners. And if any way, shape, or form that isn't true, or if there's any way, shape, or form, there's any other way we get to heaven, the, 
Jesus wouldn't have had to die on the cross. Is this true? Yeah, absolutely. Because there's only two ways a person could really be saved. One is that you never sin at all. You and I. <laughs> now, that's not going to happen because we were born with, with sin. That's, that's total depravity. We have no way. We are inclined to sin by our federal head, whose name was Adam. We must understand with conviction that we are sinners. And any so-called gospel, any so-called gospel that leaves this out is false. A person must understand that they are a sinner before they can be saved. Christ is not just some motivator. He's not there just to fix our rough edges. You know what? When we are truly saved, that can come along with it. Okay, that's a, that's a blessing with life change. Absolutely. But, oh, I just motivate people to follow him because they continue doing what they're th doing and live in their businesses, some of which are ones that are unseemly in, according to the Bible, and they'll be just fine. No, that's not fine. That's not fine. It's not about your rough edges. Because you and I need full life change, life transformation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Listen to Romans 3, 10 and 12. And that's what I said. It's, this is going to piggyback on, we must have the conviction that we are sinners. Romans 3, 10 to 12. There is no one righteous, no, not one. This is where the doctrine of total depravity comes in. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. You and I don't do that on our own. We, we don't have the desire to because we're spiritually blind and we're spiritually dead outside of Christ. You're going to see that shortly. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does good. No, not even one. Do you understand? If you are lost and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are a sinner. You are separated from him. And unless the Holy Spirit convicts you of that sin and that separation, and if you have that opportunity and you know and you're feeling it in your heart, you just can't do it. You just can't press this button on your own because most people in this narcissistic world we live in today, it doesn't matter to them if they're sinners or not. They don't care. And their pride and arrogance, and you're going to see a great example of this here shortly in the Bible. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I make my own rules. That's the philosophy of a lost person. If that philosophy pervades anybody or your church congregation, you're a body of lost people. You are. I say that without reservation. You don't understand. You don't have any humility about where you are when it comes to sin and the sin that separates you from Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. All have sinned. This, because of our sin, our penalty, is there is no way you and I can reach the glory of God because of one thing, sin. Galatians 3.22. But scripture in prison, but the scripture imprisoned, or one version says shut up or concluded everything under sin's power so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. This is the only way of salvation. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are imprisoned. We're prisoners to sin. And we only have one way out. That's marvelous to the Christian. When, you, when we read this, this is just fantastic. Because this is the heart and core of our salvation. When we were lost in our sins, and we understood and knew that we couldn't save ourselves, if we turned to Jesus Christ, he changed our lives. He gave us that salvation, that forgiveness of sin that was required so that the promise might be given on the basis of faith in Jesus Christ to those who believe. Not your testimony, faith in Jesus Christ. It's teaching and preaching Jesus Christ that gets this world shaking, folks. Hey, churches, you need to start doing it again, pastors. If you can't figure out how to do it, go back and read some Charles Finney and Jonathan Edwards sermons. They'll teach you very well. I assure you, let them be your teacher. They will teach you. And you'll finally get a few people in your pews who are going to be angry enough and maybe come under conviction and get saved. For real. Let them teach you. Their sermons are fantastic. And sadly, we, we are tr totally and grossly missing them in our times. But let's look at Galatians 3.22. But scripture, oh, I read that already. 
But let's look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I'll tell you what. Baptists could never stop quoting this verse. Never. I don't ever hear it quoted hardly anymore. But I used to hear it all the time. But it is true. This, again, is the context of salvation and whose salvation comes through. For you are saved by grace through faith. It is not from yourselves. You can't save yourself. And when you get saved, don't brag about you. I decided, blah, blah, blah. You didn't decide anyway, any, anything. You only brought one thing when you got saved. Your sin. That's it. The power of the Holy Spirit is what enabled you. He is the one who enabled you to come to faith. He is the one who convicted you. He's the one who opened the door to faith for you. Don't get boastful that way because it didn't happen from you, friend. It didn't. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. It is God's gift that should keep you and me humble every day. Because you know why? This is what verse 9 says. Not from works, so that no one can boast. You decide, decide anything. You give all glory to God. You give all glory to God, and I'll say amen to you. Do that. You know, Charles Wesley wrote a tremendous hymn. And I think it's the best hymn in history in the Christian faith about the salvation experience. And I am going to read some words as I go through this series from Ant Canopy that I should gain. And you know what? All these entertainers today, they don't even get, get close to songs like this. Go back and, you know, these guys need to start singing some Fanny Crosby hymns. Sing like Jesus paid it all. At the cross. I, I can think of many others. Uh, I love to tell the story. I love to tell the story. Uh, blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. A lot of great old songs we just totally ignore these days. But we got those entertainers, entertainers so we, we should feel pretty good about that. That's a, that's a bonus point for you today. <laughs> Charles Wesley, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Charles Wesley and John Wesley, many people, most people know the story of John Wesley's salvation. But I read the story of Charles Wesley's conversion, and it was very similar. His experience uh, during the time he was lost and for the period he was under conviction and how he eventually came to faith, it's very similar to John's. It's pretty remarkable. But he wrote this remarkable song. So when he said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night, he was really writing about his experience there. So he was being very truthful. But that's what sin does. And, you know, when you look at some of the great people of faith, one of the things I want to say, they didn't just turn a switch on and say, oh, I'm decided for Christ now. No, they spent good, significant periods of time, either under conviction or, in Jonathan Edwards' case, struggling with a doctrine, which I'll read to you shortly. You need to know this. Charles Finney, he was under conviction for weeks, and one day he decided I'm not leaving this grove. He left his law office, and I'm not leaving this grove until I come to faith in Christ. And he meant it, and he was converted in that grove. Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was under conviction for a while, and he was saved the night in a church preaching of what he called a dumb deacon, and he came under conviction, and he was saved. Very unusual circumstances. It was pretty remarkable. It's almost funny. Jonathan Edwards struggled with the doctrine of of uh, the sovereignty of God. I'll read more about that to you here shortly, but uh, he had problems with that right there, and he struggled with it for a significant period of time. You didn't just have people deciding and just saying, oh, I would just do this, blah, 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 and I'm saved. didn't happen that way back then. Conversions were, came about many times in, in mysterious ways, just suddenly upon a person. Conviction would hit them very strongly, and, and the Lord would open up the path to faith in them. But I assure you, one of the things that was happening very strongly in those times was the gospel was being preached. And the preaching was biblical, and it was strong, and it was solid. Like I said, get yourself the sermons of Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney. Hey, Jonathan Edwards was a full counsel of God preacher. Don't just think Jonathan Edwards only preached sermons on hell. No, he preached on every subject. 
And I'm telling you, he did it unbelievably well from the small number of certain, really in light of what's actually in his volumes. I haven't even scratched the surface hardly, but everything I've read has just been unbelievable. Or, you know, I say believable because we believe in the Lord, but remarkable. Uh, I say a lot of people these days behind the pulpits, y'all do much better. Start reading Jonathan Edwards or some of those great old preachers. And if you're reading uh, Charles Spurgeon, amen. Keep reading him. Study his notes and things like that. Pre try to preach like him. We need more of that. But then the point here is, do you and I understand uh, that we are under sin without Christ? The point of the matter is, too, is you're either a sinner or you're a sinner saved by grace. I love that old hymn, I'm only a sinner saved by grace. But you're either a sinner or you're a sinner saved by grace. That's two classes of people. Leonard Ravenhill, he would always say this often to his congregation. He'd say there's two kinds of people in this world, those who are dead in sin and those who are dead to sin. There's two different things. Dead in sin and dead to sin. Now, the ones who are saved by grace are the ones who are dead to sin. Lost people are dead in sin because that's their controlling principle of their lives because they're lost, plain and simple. That might be a little circular, but, but it is what it is. Lost people are going to behave like lost people. And for us as Christians, even though sometimes we backslide, our role is to be living like we're dead to sin. It doesn't affect us. We make the right choices because we are enabled to by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what? Even an 11-year-old boy like myself could understand the gospel after an altar call in a church when he was a kid. And I was in the congregation hearing a pastor preach, and he was preaching on sin. He was preaching on sin and separation from God, and I was feeling conviction strongly. And I was hoping somebody would come to my side and ask me to go receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, I understood this. A child can understand this. But un when conviction comes and calling comes, that has to be there. It isn't just raise your hand going forward. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's all over. No, there has to be conviction. There has to be opportunity. And that comes through the power of the gospel preached. And I know this minister, and he, he preached the gospel. You, Anytime he preached, you always felt the Lord's power. Uh, it was just there. But even whether you're 11 or whether you're 91, it doesn't matter what age. But if you will know when the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and the calling comes. Don't say no. Like Scripture says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts because you may never, ever get that opportunity again. The other point I want to make is, and this will be the last point, uh, we cannot save ourselves. And there's a perfect example scripturally of a guy who thought he could do his own things, make his own calls, and it's Pharaoh. I really like this point of honesty about Pharaoh that he said here in Exodus chapter 5. This is Moses when he had his first meeting with Pharaoh. It says, Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Now listen to Pharaoh's words very carefully. And this is also something that very many people like to do. How would you say it? To say they're going to control their own destiny. And Pharaoh's right here going to say this. Pharaoh responded, Who is the Lord that I should obey him by letting Israel go? Look at that attitude. Who is the Lord? that I should obey him by letting Israel go. What an attitude. Now, there's where he really speaks truthfully. I do not know the Lord. And besides, I will not let Israel go. Well, he was honest there. I do not know the Lord. And basically he says, I'm going to do my own thing. I don't care. And he didn't. And eventually it cost him everything. This is man right here. Pharaoh was one of the best representations of God's will versus man in all of Scripture. You see it in others, too. You can see it in Nebuchadnezzar. Certainly in uh, Daniel chapter 4, you have a great contest there. But that contest really started in the early chapters of the book of Daniel, especially uh, 2 and 3. You see, it, you see it growing. And by the time chapter 4 came, Nebuchadnezzar 
then knew who really was in boss was the boss. But you know, Pharaoh was seeing who the boss was all the time, and it never affected him. It did affect uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, however. But I will ask this: this, this is man's favorite poem. <laughs> it actually has a movie named after it, and Nelson Mandela would read this every day, at least according to what the movie said. He probably did, but the it's Invictus, if you realize what I'm know what I'm talking about here, by William Ernest Henley. Uh, this is the manifesto of man, as I look at it. I'll go ahead and read this, but this is the power of man. This is as good as man can do. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Oh, what's such beautiful words. <laughs> I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. You hear that? <laughs> this is all about self. <laughs> In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloodied, but not unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms the horror of the shade. And yet the massacre of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. Oh, though you just sitting there going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul, period. Am I making fun of the poem? You know what? I want to be honest with you. The human spirit can be a hugely, hugely strong force. I will acknowledge that. The human will. In fact, when I worked at a hospital a few years back, there was an individual there who had leukemia. And, and really, for all, all that was known about her case at the time, and multiple times, she really could have passed away. But it was her will. I talked to her one day, well, what kept you alive? And I was expecting hearing something like her faith did or whatever, because she was remarkably, remarkably uh, in bad shape. And she says, no, it was my will. And I said, really? It really surprised me. But I thought about it and said, you know, the human will and many people who have uh, some life-threatening diseases at time and stuff really survive by will, by their will. And it was a remarkable story. She actually had her uh, picture and stuff posted in New York Times area about as being a cancer survivor. The human spirit in Invictus really, really is probably one of the best pictures of that strength of human will uh, in all of our literature. So I'll say it's pretty remarkable, and I will acknowledge that the human spirit can be very powerful. I, I don't have any problem. That's a fact. But it's not saving. Let me say that again. But it's not saving. There is no ticket to heaven for those who insist on steering their own ship, for those who insist on being the captain of their own fate. Fact of the matter is, Jesus died so we could come to faith in him because we need a savior. It may have saved you from a medical instance. It may have saved you from other problems in life. But in the end, when your time comes, if you're out without Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not the master of your fate anymore. You are not the captain of your own soul. The fact of the matter is, the fate of your soul will be eternal separation from God. Be eternal separation from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a ticket to heaven. Your will cannot do that. For all are under sin, including the ones who think they're the master of their own fate. You know, like I said earlier, Jonathan Edwards even struggled with this. Uh, he said as a youth, he said, from my childhood up, my mind had been full of objections against the doctrine of God's sovereignty. It used to appear like a horrible doctrine to me, <laughs> God's sovereignty. Well, Psalms 115.3 says, our God is in heaven and does whatever he pleases. That sounds like sovereignty to me. It's in the word of God because he is God. He is ruler. And Jonathan Edwards, as you will see, most likely in the next podcast, will tell you how he came to Christ 
from 1 Timothy 1.17, which was a verse on sovereignty. The very thing he struggled with, one day the Holy Spirit opened up his heart and mind to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The Bible clearly teaches God's sovereignty. And unfortunately, there are evangelical frauds out there these days who says there are things that can surprise God. No, nothing surprises God. He is sovereign. He does whatever he pleases in the heavens. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages, sin has consequences. That's the point to be made there. It has cost. Without Christ, we are lost and will be lost. But Jesus Christ is the gift that God gives Ephesians 2, 1 to 12, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, were the Ephesian church. But for those of you who are lost, you are dead. Remember, dead in sin. You are dead in trespasses and sin. That Leonard Ravenhill quote, two kinds of people, those dead in sin, as the Ephesians were once, and those dead to sin. That's the save. But as it goes on, he says, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Do you understand whose kingdom you belong to outside of Jesus Christ? The answer is yes. If you're thinking it's the devil's kingdom, absolutely, it's true. That's exactly what Paul's saying here. According to the ruler of the power of the air. Who do you think that is? You walk in according to the ways of the world, the ones of the Spirit now working in the disobedient. That's not Christians. You need to think about it. Colossians 2, 13. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us of all our trespasses. He made you alive. That's the, the, the zap. <laughs> That's the regeneration. That's the work of the Holy Spirit that only he can do. When he made you alive, you were acted upon. You didn't make the choice. You were acted upon. The Greek tenses there are something that happened to the individual that they, he or she did not bring it upon himself or herself. So you and I can't boast that we did it on our own. Think back to the Ephesian passage. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4. But if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now listen carefully, because this is really, I, I look at this as one of the saddest passages in the New Testament. If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, the God of this age, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Who, is, who do you think is trying to keep you out of heaven? Who do you think out there is trying to keep you from relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He's going to try to keep you as blind as long as he can. Friend, if you feel your need for Christ, if you feel that you are lost, even from listening to this message today, this whole point was really to show one principle today. Without We are under sin when we're lost. We are desperate. We cannot save ourselves. If you cannot understand, Christian, if you're listening right now, this makes you rejoice because you're hearing right now what you were saved from. You overcame the power of the world and the one that was trying to stop you from being saved. But some of you out there might be listening right now. No, do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're feeling it right now because you see that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You see that you do walk according to the world. You can do nothing about it. It's because of the one whose kingdom you're living in. It's not Christ's kingdom. And that one you're following, who you kingdom you belong to, is going to do everything he can to keep you from seeing the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is your spiritual condition? One of the verses I read earlier, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You could go look at that passage there. In Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you 
will be saved. Call upon him. Ask him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Tell him that you've lived your own way long enough. If you're feeling the convicting power of the Holy Spirit because of your sin, cry out to the Lord to save you. Look at those verses that I just talked to you about. Romans 6.23, Romans 10.9 and 10. And you can look at the love of Christ as well in Romans 5.8. It said that, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just love us in word. He loved us in deed. He loved us in action. That is our remedy. That is our salvation. When we come to Jesus Christ and get our sins washed away by the blood of Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That song just came to mind for some reason. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ, it's high time that you come to him. Well, friends, thank you for listening to today's Denarius. I really hope that this first part, this journey took you to a place to help you understand the condition of those of us outside of Christ. And we will eventually get to the point where we're going to talk about the condition, even though we talked about it lightly tonight, uh, we talked about the conditions of those in Christ, our salvation, those of us who are saved. Yeah, we can take the joy in Christ. Uh, We can shout it. But you know what? One of the things we need to do is, like I said earlier, we need to get our shiny evangelical shoes on again and start teaching and sharing Jesus Christ and what he's done for us the way the Bible says that we should. So take some time. Find yourself a good Bible reading plan. Let's keep strong in the spiritual disciplines. I encourage you because you know what? What I taught today is really the beginning of the heart of salvation and people coming to Christ because If anybody's going to get saved, they must understand that they're lost. What are you being saved from? If we're talking about salvation, the point of the matter is, it's what are you being saved from? Jesus died on that cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's why he came on the cross. For you and me. Well, God bless you. I'll get another podcast here to follow up uh, out as soon as I possibly can. Schedule's been a little tough lately, but I do love making podcasts. Uh, and I just hope that my friends, those of you who get this, who are really spiritually benefiting from this, hey, leave me a note up there on Spotify uh, if you're on, if you can listen to it. Uh, also, um, I am on many podcast sites, uh, including Apple. Uh, Google Podcasts, Outcast, Breaker, Stitcher, Radio Public, uh, Pocket Cast, and CastBox. I think I covered them all. There are nine of them, but you know what? You certainly got to have one of those. (laughs) Uh, But I truly appreciate you lending your ears to Two Days Denarius. Until the next time, may God richly bless you. Uh, You know what? If you come to Christ as a result of this particular podcast, Hey, try to get on Spotify and leave me a note. I do want to help in any way I can to those who come to Christ, uh, certainly through the podcast, tell them the next step. But the very important next step is to find a Bible-believing New Testament church. And I mean a Bible-believing one, like the one I described myself, <laughs> how I described myself when I started the podcast tonight. All right, well, God richly bless you all. And this is Ron Thomas from Two Days Denarius signing off. Teach us to make the most of our time So that we may grow in wisdom Teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow 
Give us gladness in proportion to our